My name is David Freider. I'm here with Mike Cohen for an interview or really conversation about your story and about storytelling generally. Um, the oral history and storytelling scholar Ruth Edmonds Hill is quoted as describing you as someone with the most incredible imagination of anyone I've ever known, <coughs> uh, which we appreciate from your story. And we're just delighted to have you here to join us for this conversation. Now, you mentioned in your story, Mike, that you rode from Seattle to Boston not one but three times, not once but three times. And I can't imagine doing like a tenth of that one time. So how did you get into cross-country bicycling? Well, I had, I had a friend, a female friend who was older than me, and she did it by herself when she was 40. And so I thought, well, you know, one of these days I would like to do this. And then I was diagnosed with cancer and treated and had radiation therapy. And I thought, you know, now this might be a good time to do that because I came pretty close. It, you know, this might not have been caught. It might not have worked out for me. So I thought, well, you know, I should maybe do this. And right, right after the operation, I basically, I bought a new car. I got a job. And I was back on my, and actually I discovered storytelling. And when the job ended in, towards the end of June, they said, you know, well, we have to lay you off because it was a state job and, you know, the budget hasn't been approved. And so what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to ride across the country. And I did. And that was the first time. The second time was, I guess, nostalgia five years later. And then <coughs> 10 years after that, I sort of had that hankering for the wide open spaces. And I'm afraid I did it again. <laughs> Now, you, one doesn't just casually ride across the country. There must have been some preparation work. Was this sort of part of your cancer recovery, too, in a way? Well, not, not per se, but not exactly, I, would, no. I would say that if you're going to ride across country, you should probably ride about 1,000 miles first, because then you, which is what I had done. I had, already, I had managed to ride about 1,000 miles before I left. Now, did you do that 1,000 miles locally? Yeah, that was like 50, 60 miles every weekend. Wow. That's amazing. That was quite a story. Now, <clears throat> as Pat mentioned in the introduction, mm -hmm. uh, uh, your introduction, um, you're part of the story space. And at least according to you, that's the longest, oldest storytelling program in the world. Well... Weekly. Weekly. Okay. When, so, but but so talk about that. Well, when Brother Blue, the husband, Dr. Hugh Morgan Hill, the husband of Ruth Hill, who you quoted, started it in March of 1992, well, February of 1992, it was, as far as we could tell, the world's first weekly storytelling venue. And the place was just jammed. And people wow. just came and... It was just so amazing to sit there and have someone get up and tell a story because it also, he, he, you know, people were getting three minutes to do poetry or he got five minutes at an open mic somewhere and he set an eight-minute time limit and you can do a lot of storytelling in eight minutes. 
I have a version of Beowulf that I can do in eight minutes. <laughs> and I did it once at the Lizard Lounge. And somebody stood up and said, that was better than the movie. <laughs> so you can do a lot in eight minutes. But it was amazing because people would tell stories and someone, the next person would get up, well, I wasn't going to tell a story about wolves, but you know, now I have to tell a wolf story. And so you'd have a whole night of wolf stories or ghost stories or ghost wolves or, <laughs> or something because there was just this synergy. And then there would be a feature. And Pete, someone would get up and say, well, I didn't really prepare. And everyone would be like, oh, my God, you, you're gonna, you were featured at Brother Blues and you didn't prepare? And other people were just like, you know, Blue and Ruth knew everyone. They, everywhere they would go, they would run into someone a at an airport, a musician who played an obscure instrument or someone who also was a raconteur, and they'd sign them up. So if you went to Ruth to say, I would like to be a feature, she had this sheet of, like, that, that paper that kids write on in first grade. And, you know, if it was June 19th, 2005, you could be the feature June 19th, 2006, because it was booked a year in advance. Wow, no kidding. People were like, people were just begging to be features there. So it was just, it was so amazing. But this was 1992, and I'm not sure of the timeline, but I'm thinking it was well before the moth got started. It was, the, the I mean, there, there's the storytelling at the Hans Christian Andersen statue in New York City. Um, you know, there's other storytelling things, but they were always, you know, the fourth Saturday or the third Thursday or the second Sunday. You know, it was always a monthly event. There was nowhere you could go that was every week. Every week you could go. And Brother Blue had it set up so that if somebody walked in the door off the street and they had a story they had to tell, he would get them up and they could tell that story. And it might have been something that they had never shared before, or a story that had been in them for 30 years, and they could tell that story. Now, who was Brother Blue? He's passed since passed, yeah. some years ago. Well, but he was a, a minister and a He was an ordained tour. minister, a playwright, an actor. He, he was in a George Romero movie called Night Riders, which was a, basically King Arthur on motorcycles, and he was the Merlin, the Merlin character. <laughs> he, he used to talk about going into prisons and telling stories. So I found a group called the Boston Minstrels that were going, that were going into prisons. And so through that, I wound up I wound up being a volunteer at the Catholic Chapel at MCI Framingham, which is the women's prison in Massachusetts for over 15 years. Oh, wow. So I was essentially Sister Maureen's Shabbos Goy. But explaining <laughs> that would, you know, we don't have time for me to explain that. Yeah. But, you know, so I was, I was a volunteer. Because they talked, Ruth and Blue talked about going into prisons and telling stories in prisons. I was a volunteer for, as I said, like, at least 15 years. I'm a retired Unitarian Universalist minister, so this has particular interest to me because it really feels like what Brother Blue and you were doing was what I would call a form of ministry. We would call it community-based ministry, but it's ministry just the same. That's amazing. And then he passed, and you 
took up the story space. Yes. Turned me, myself, so and five. Well, I about a gang of six. Packages. Well, myself and five other people have been doing what Ruth used to do all by herself. Ruth Hill, she, you know, did it by herself. So it takes six of us to <laughs> to do it, and I um, to book to book weekly features, um, you know, just to keep it going. But it's a work of love because we're all volunteers. Right, we understand about that here at True Tales Live. I had that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> now I I can't uh, let this conversation pass without asking for some tips and tricks and uh, thoughts about the art and craft of storytelling. Do you prepare stories the same way, or does it vary depending on the theme? Um, how do you get off script? Do you start with a script? So, well, I'm I'm a bad person to talk to because I often I think of a story on my way in, and <laughs> often I have gotten up and started telling a story I did not know how it would end. So, so you're you very to, brave, or well, adrenaline, adrenaline is one of my drugs. <laughs> you, have to, uh, you have to think fast. And, and I, do have that, I do have a good imagination. But I sort, of, I, th- I sort of storyboard things in my head, and I record them. And my advice to anyone who's a storyteller or wants to get into storytelling is just record yourself telling the stories because you will listen to it, you will hear the audience's reaction, which is good because you're too nervous when you're telling a story to really hear the audience. And, you'll, and, if, and if you have friends in the audience, you'll recognize their laugh and feel, wow, there's Ralph laughing his head off. That's great. And you realize they, they liked the story, they were clapping, they were with you. And if there's something that you messed up or you didn't get quite right, you will hear it in the recording. And so you won't need someone to take you aside and give you a, a story <laughs> noogie and say, well, you know, you, you know, the War of 1812 happened in 1812, not 1912. <laughs> so really, taping yourself is, is my advice. The thing that I try to do is I, I'm someone who does write out stories in a sort of a script form, but then the work is to get off script as fast as I can. And we are a little bit different here because we like to let people use a script, as you could see mm. this evening. If, if people really want to do mm. that, that's fine with us. Um, because we're trying to encourage, just as you are, to oh, encourage yeah. storytelling, do whatever it takes. Um, well, but this- there's no substitute for hearing yourself tell the story out loud. It really makes a big no. difference. It's some kind of shift of consciousness between writing and telling. So, uh, well, story, storytelling is just so interactive. I, let, I also tell people it will be a long time before you were so famous and successful that you were up on a st- actual stage and such bright lights in your eyes that you can't see the audience. And in, until you get to that point, enjoy seeing the audience because the audience, you can tell, are they listening to you or are they waiting you out? And mostly they're listening to you. And if you, and if you're not sure if they're listening to you, just lean forward and lower your voice and say, "This is just between you and me. Don't tell <laughs> Dave I told you this." And you'll know that they're right with you. 
Thank you so much, Mike, for spending time with us both to tell your story and for the conversation. So this brings us to the end of our conversation with Mike Cohen. Again, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. And it brings us to the end of our True Tales live broadcast. Our thanks to our entire PPM TV crew. Thanks to each and every one of our storytellers. And thanks to you, our audience, live and broadcast and online. We believe at True, in True Tales Live that storytelling builds a sense of community, but uh, so to speak, it takes a village of story listeners to make the stories come to life. Uh, in case you missed it, Barack and Michelle Obama have just signed a multi-year deal with Net Netflix to produce and tell inspirational stories, so I think that's a pretty good in uh, endorsement of the power and value of storytelling. We certainly agree about that. As Amy Antonucci mentioned, our next True Tales Live will be September 25th. As parking is at a premium here in July and August in Portsmouth during the summer, we schedule no shows. If you are thinking of telling a story, come to one of our workshops. Our next one is Tuesday, September 4th. Details can be found on our True Tales Live Facebook page. My name is David Frainer. For our True Tales Live crew and team, thank you and good night.